Such fun. It was just a great way of getting in the Christmas zone and what have you. I don't know about you, but I've already done my, my Christmas shopping. How many here have already done their Christmas shopping? Well, my gosh, there's only about 50% of you. There's a lot more present buying to do. And uh, yesterday, the team in, in the Maltings were very busy wrapping presents. This Saturday, Dennis and I will be up there. We, we heckle people. We cajole people. It's, it, that's it. Get your presents wrapped here. It's all great fun. I tell you, we have an absolute blast. And we see people who've come back over the years. And, and actually, some, there are people in our congregation now who we met first time out there wrapping presents. And it's just great fun. It's a real buzz. You know, it's... It's good to be there. I don't know about you, I was thinking about presents and buying presents and getting presents. And, and I was thinking about, I asked myself the question, what was the best present I ever got? And, you know, I can think of a number of gifts that I received over the years. But I think probably the, the, most, the, the most special one to me was when I got my first bike. Anybody here remember when you got your first bike? I tell you, that was a big thing, getting your first bike. I don't know whether it's the same for young people today, but for me it was a huge deal. It was blue and it was shiny, it was all of that, but it was also about independence. It was also about my parents letting me go off on my own, you know, down the park to kick a football around. It was all that kind of stuff. It was enormously important. But I do remember I nearly didn't get it. Because I had been standing in front of the little bike shop in Witten in, in Middlesex that I, where we lived. I'd been standing there looking at this bike in the window ever since the summer. And uh, I can remember now, it was, a, it was a Kerry bike. I don't know if they still make them, but it was Kerry. And it had plastic mudguards, which were the big thing then. And uh, what have you. It, it had, it had um, derailleur gears. That's the ones that, you know, the sort of crackle about and the chain falls off, you know. And that was the new <laughs> thing, you know. And it was all of these things. And I just, oh, I so wanted this bike. Anyway, one Saturday in September, October, I don't know exactly when it was, I went up into town with my father to do some Saturday morning shopping and get some groceries and stuff and I managed to maneuver him over there and uh, in all innocence bless his heart he finds himself standing in front of this bike shop window and and I'm pointing out this bike and all the rest of it. And I said, Dad, isn't that, what do you think of that bike? He says, oh, it's a nice looking bike, isn't it, son? Okay. And I said, well, let's just go and have a quick look at it. And I shot in the shop before he could, before he could stop me. So anyway, he comes in to sort of grab me sort of with that kind of get out of their face on, you know, that kind of face, you know, get out of their face. And uh, before he could grab me, the salesman, you know, kind of oozed up and was upon him. And for the next 20 minutes, this, you know, besuited salesman was all over my father and I was on the bike now in the window going, ding, ding, this is great, it really feels comfortable, dad, and all that kind of, well, I tell you, my father was furious. I tell you, he absolutely ripped into me when we were walking home. He said, don't you ever do that to me again. I couldn't get out of the place. You know, that was so embarrassing. Don't ever do that. And I thought, oh, I've lost all hope of, it, of getting that bike. But, you know, it was still in my dreams. It was still sort of, it was still kind of there. And I, I thought, one day you will be mine. Christmas morning I came down, I went into the dining room, and guess what was propped against the wall? That bike. I tell you. 
It then started snowing, and we had solid snow for the next three weeks. I wasn't able to get out on it. But no matter, the bike was mine. I polished it. I sat on it, and I went ding, ding, you know. But that whole sense of longing, that whole sense of anticipation, that whole sense of one day, one day, you will be mine, is what I want to tap into a little bit as we deal with this last session in the big story. The big story, by the way, is a series we've been running for eight weeks. The preaching team, thanks, sir. the preaching team here, I have to say, we've had a wrestle with this thing. This has almost got the better of us because it's, it's really the... We, we've been trying to preach to a book called The Big Story. I haven't brought a copy up with me. We've sold over 350 of these books. Thank you. Thanks very much. And uh, it's really... It's an overview of the Bible because the, the thinking behind it was many of us know bits of the Bible. Some of us don't know anything about the Bible, but, but many of us know bits of it. But often we don't know how it all goes together. But extraordinarily enough, it does go together. And so we felt as a preaching team we wanted to do the big story. We wanted to help you get the overview. And the, the difficulty for us has been that we've, we've wanted to keep getting into it. We wanted to dive into it and, and unpack it and crack it open as I call it. But we've had to resist the temptation to do that and try to give you the overview so that you would be you know, tantalized, teased, encouraged, whatever, to buy the book and get into it yourself because we want you to appreciate God's word. We want you to have that personal living relationship informed and, 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 and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so it was our thinking behind this, this series this autumn that if we could just kind of t- put out these tasters, then you might be drawn into it. So today's session, and I'm not going to do an overview of all that I've done, all that we've done so far. Today's session is called The New Creation. And uh, it is the final in this series. We have followed the chapter headings, as those of you who are going through it will know. And thank you for all those who've said that you've uh, found it helpful and are still finding it helpful. And uh, this, this topic, the new creation, is really, in one sense, what it's all building up to. And I liked when, when Derek Morphew came here four or five weeks ago. He talked about the resu- resurrection. Probably the best thing I've ever heard on the resurrection. And he was very careful to say, when we're talking about resurrection, we're not talking about resuscitation. It's a completely different thing. You know, Rick spoke last week about the resurrection, about Jesus coming to alive, uh, alive again. This is one of the core beliefs of the scriptures. More of that in just a moment as I lead into this teaching. But we're not talking about resuscitation. It's not as if you know, somebody tragically drowns on Brighton Beach, and, 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 but then gets hauled out, and they, you know, they, you know, they do various uh, things, and suddenly there's a coughing and a spluttering, and they throw up a load of water, and they <sighs> gasp, and they're okay. A bit of a headache maybe, but they're okay. It's not like resuscitating. We're not talking about being resuscitated. And when we talk about new creation, we're not talking about God resuscitating a dying creation. We're not talking about restoration, and that's quite important to say because in many parts of the church, and, and it's a, you know, I understand why the word is used and, and can in some ways buy into it, but we're not talking about restoration. Because even with restoration, there is a sense of things decaying. Some of you know that 
I've got this old MG car in my carport. It's up on chocks again. I've had it for ages. And one of my hobbies, one of the ways I unwind is, is tinkering with this thing. Well, this car is, is over 30 years old now. And during the course of its life, and I've got a great big nerdy folder of photographs and invoices and things. During the course of its life, it's been restored at least twice. In fact, the last restoration, which was around about 99, 2000, the previous owner did it, he spent nearly £4,000 stripping it back to bare metal, um, you know, getting the rust out, putting new panels in, and then spent thousands of pounds, nearly £2,000 on a new respray and all sorts of stuff. It was beautifully restored, as the photographs testify, around about 2000 But guess where it is now? It's up on chocks and I'm, I had the weld around on Friday morning and he was welding bits and I was chopping bits out. You see, there's still this element of decay built into that. So we're not talking about resuscitation. We're not talking about restoration. We are talking about resurrection. And, and there is something extraordinary and something powerful and something different about that. And we are looking forward to it. We are looking forward to it. Whatever we as the followers of Jesus are going through, and some of us, I know, I pastor this thing, as many of us do, we're going through some stuff. But as followers of Jesus, there is always a spring in our step because of what is to come. The looking forward to the, the day we get the bike. We've caught the vision of it. We've got a scent of it. We know that one day you will be mine. And that's, that's probably one of the most single most important things I want to communicate today. Have you got that sense of future present? Are you living life looking forward to that which is to come? But before I run away with myself, let me just... You know, catch up a little bit, put a bit of detail in before I build that house, get the foundation right. Okay, so the resurrection, as, as Rick helped us with last week, I like to think of it as a big bang. You know, the big bang theory where, you know, there was some sort of explosion in the cosmos and out of that everything was created. That's just one of many theories. That seems to be the popular one at the moment. A big bang, an incredible release of energy and, and life comes of it. Well, I like to think of the resurrection, that moment when Christ burst the bounds of death and leapt, into, leapt to life again, raised by the Father, stepped out of the tomb and into our lives forever. That was like a big bang. It wasn't just a victory for him, it released an extraordinary burst of energy that transformed the early church, that, that caused them to, to run when they were tired, to go again when they were fallen down, to pick themselves up when they'd been beaten, to even guess, give their lives for it. It was an extraordinary event in history. Something happened in Palestine 2,000 years ago, which means that I am waving my arms around, spitting on everybody in the third row, because I'm excited about it. And not just I, please God, you too. It was, yes, new life. And that verse of scripture that, that I, I, I quoted as I stepped up onto the platform at the end of communion, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation. God has done a profa something profound for you, is doing something profound for you, and will do something profound for you. 
There's something past, present and future about this life in Christ. He gives us a new heart. The old prophets used to bemoan the fact that it seemed as if the children of Israel had a heart of stone. But God said through his prophets, I will put within them a heart of flesh. A heart of flesh. Suddenly they'll, be, they'll come alive again. No more the tin man or the straw man or, the, or, or whatever it is else is. What's the other one? The lion man in The Wizard of Oz. Incidentally, I don't want to embarrass, this is in parenthesis, embarrass any of our people here, but one of our members is the Wicked Witch in Wicked, and she's absolutely outstanding. We went as a staff to see her, and we have lots of media people in this congregation, and she just did a great job and really entertained her, and clap, clap, clap. Okay, so that was apropos of nothing. Wicked, you know, Wizard of Oz. No, all right, never mind. Right, pushing on. (laughs) New life, new heart. But, but more than anything else, a new community, which becomes known as the church. A new community. And, and as, as we march through history and as we read through the latter part of the scriptures, we begin to see that God has always had this new community in mind. This thing we call church. And it is here and it's present in the 21st century, but it's translocal. It goes across this region, this nation other nations. We are bonded together by this new life, this new heart, this new community dynamic called the church. And as we read towards the back of the book, as we get into into the book of of Revelation, the last book in the scriptures, we begin to realize that there is a glorious future for this new community, the church. She is to become the bride of Christ. We are to be that united. We are to become one with him, the bride of Christ. Elsewhere in the scriptures it speaks of Christ the head and the church the body. You know, we've, we've, we've sung choruses in the past, those who have been around a little while, about us being Christ's hands, his feet, his heart today. And there is this extraordinary sense of this big bang, this new life coursing through human relationships and community and new, new communities being formed that, tr- that transcend tribal things, that transcend national things. It's a new, a new world order. It's a new creation. Something that God had in his heart and in his mind from the very beginning. And what are the implications of all of this? Well, first of all, this, the birth of the church heralds the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. Just the beginning of the end. The end of what? Well, the end of the reign and rule of evil for a start. 1 John 3.8 says this, that the reason the Son of Man, Jesus, came was to undo the works of the enemy. And that mantle... That commission, that anointing has has fallen upon the church now and we are about undoing the works of the enemy. It, it It can express itself in all sorts of ways. It can be through things like the feed ministry. Where, where society is careless, even in an affluent community like St. Albans and surrounding areas, is careless of those who are struggling. Would you believe that we give out 160 food bags a month to the residents of this area because they haven't got enough on their, on their shelves to feed their kids, their families? In St. Albans? 
This is extraordinary. When the church steps up to do that, we are undoing the works of the enemy because the enemy loves, loves despair. He loves hopelessness. He loves death. That's his world, a world of darkness. We step in as bearers of the light, as, of, as his body, and we are about undoing the works of the enemy. It might be getting caught up in, in works of... of uh, uh, of justice, like our just community guys. It may be our prayer ministry. It may be, as happened last Sunday, unusually I got caught up praying for a, a young lady and cast two demons out. It may be at all sorts of levels we are undoing the works of the enemy. And that's what the church does. It is quite simply the beginning of the end of the rule of darkness, Satan, and despair. And death is the crown. And scripture says, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? No wonder we can walk with a, a bit of a spring in our step on even those drab, dark days when we're struggling. We're struggling to make sense of what we're doing, why we're about it, and where we're going next. There is this incredible life coursing through the church of Jesus Christ, which puts that energy, that strength, that hope back into it. And then, of course, one day, one day, and it says in the scriptures, and I love the, word, the choice of word here. Of course, it's in the Greek, but it actually says Jesus is coming soon. Soon. Not now, although when you say soon, it could be now. When my mother said to me when I was you know, in bed that night on the horrible meltdown bike day and my dad told me off and I was going to bed and my mother was tucking me in she said well one you know someday soon Chris you'll get a bike well that kind of comforted me it wasn't a no she wasn't saying you will never have a bike over my dead body you'll get a bike Chris nor was she saying oh dad was a silly twit don't worry I'll talk to him I'll sort it out we'll get it Not, she would never do that what she said was, soon, Chris, soon. And that's where we are. As we look toward what we call the second coming, when Jesus comes again. Jesus is coming soon. It could be now. One day we will open the door and he will be there. It actually says in Matthew 24, and there, if I had time I'd love to do a Bible study on this, but you can do that. It gives a number of illustrations about life going on as usual, life as normal, but suddenly, that's the word that keeps coming up, suddenly, suddenly, Christ is upon us. And the beginning of the, and we have the end of the beginning, the end of the beginning, an extraordinary event, soon. Now with that event when Christ does come back all of a sudden, and I think we'll move on to the end of the beginning screen, thanks John, a number of things happen and I, I thought probably what I would do would be let the text speak and then simply comment on that before we sort of wind up. So we're looking in the book of Revelation and I want to first of all read verses 11 and 12. Then I saw a great white throne. And him who was seated on it. 
earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. I've always pictured this, and there are a number of pictures in the scripture coming about, as, as being as if God rips open the sky. It's as if it's sudden, what, what looks like the sky which you and I know and love or whatever, suddenly gets ripped and torn apart. Now that's just my imagery, that may not work for you. I remember being in Las Vegas once. Fliss and I used to get cheap hotel rooms in Las Vegas en route to, to, to Los Angeles. We never gambled, I want to say straight off, but do some great kind of buffet deals there. So we used to stay in Las Vegas. And I remember going to this huge, great big hall, and it was just amazing. It was, it was, it was kind of, uh, they, were, they were trying to replicate the Bridge of Sighs and Venice, in the middle of Las Vegas. I mean, can you believe this, you know? But it was astounding. We've been to Venice. Many of you have as well. It's a Ryanair trip, isn't it? And uh, there were canals there, and there were gondoliers singing, and they were sort of doing that, and there were all these lovely little sort of terracotta-colored houses, and it was just like a film set. It was amazing, and you looked up, and there was the sky, and it was blue, and there were clouds, and then as I looked, I saw a water stain, and, and there was a bit of a crack, and I thought, ah, it's not real. It just looks like it's real, but I remember seeing that. That could just suddenly rip open, and we'd see the real sky. Now, there is a sky that we see. We live in this world, but there is a dimension, a reality that is even more real than we perceive. And one of these days, God is going to break into that reality. One day soon, very soon. And all of a sudden, we will be, prevent, pre, pre, we will be confronted by a whole new reality. And it will begin with what is ominously and rightfully called the day of judgment. The day of judgment. You know, you hear about these things, you know, Pentecostal preachers of old would try and scare you or say it seemed. And, and this kind of language and this kind of imagery is very un-PC and very unpopular. Nobody wants to be judged, do they? Hands up if you want to be judged. No. No takers. And I'm not putting my hand up. I do not want to be judged. But I know enough to know this. I do know I need mercy. And the difference may be that you know you need mercy or you don't think you need mercy. I know I need mercy. And when it comes to that great day of judgment, that day of reckoning, what the, the picture language here is that the dead are raised and all are raised up. Every living person, past, present and I guess future until Jesus comes soon. Every living person is raised up and then our lives are examined and scrutinized. Ooh, my goodness, the day of judgment. Not the kind of theme that these days you hear too many preachers talking about. It's in the book. I need to say to you, if you ever wondered whether there would be a day of reckoning, you were on the right track. There is a day of reckoning. But to, to just sort of encourage some of you or most of you or, and I hope all of you verse 15 in this passage I haven't got it up there but I'll just read it it says here if anyone's name 
is not found in the book of life, he will be damned. But the good news is that those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have you know, begged for God for his mercy, as we've, as we've got to know him, as we've sought his forgiveness, that is the very process by which our name is put on the guest list. Those who turn to him and cry out for mercy, to, who see in Christ their salvation, may not understand it or may not be a great theologian, may never be a great theologian, but know that they need God's forgiveness. That's the past list. That's the access all areas list. We don't have to wait in line as a result. Our sins are forgiven. And it says in the scriptures that as far as the east is from the west, God puts our sins. All because of Jesus. All because of his substitutionary death. He steps in and takes our pain and our punishment. An extraordinary thing. So this, this new order, this new creation, and I'm coming to that, begins with the judgment when everyone is judged. And if you're not in the book of life, then you're judged according to your deeds with great scrutiny and great intensity and the utmost fairness, it has to say. So the next thing then is actually the new heaven and the new earth. Let's read about that. Again, let's let the scriptures themselves unfold the story. I'm, I'm having to be brief, so you might be encouraged to, to read these, these, certainly the second part of the book of Revelation, if not all of it. Verse 21, chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. Then, after the judgment, after that's been sorted out, who's going where to what and why, Chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. No more partings. No more lonely Christmases. No more sad Christmases. I was on my prayer walk in the park and, and uh, one of our congregation came in the, co- the corner and uh, without any kind of embarrassment whatsoever, collapsed into my ar- arms in, f- in gales, convulsions of tears. They've just lost a loved one. And we stood there for 20 minutes, m- me trying to comfort this person while dog walkers, kids going to school, goodness knows what was going on around. And they kept saying, I'm so sad. I wake up in the morning sad. I go to work sad. I come home sad. I go to bed sad. I am so sad. No more tears. No more mourning. No more lonely Christmases. No more waking up in bed to find your lover has left. No more redundancy fears. No more struggles with pain and sickness, the big C. No more mental illness. No more tears no more mourning for God himself comes and wipes away 
the tears from our eyes. Scripture says, God is the God of all comfort. It actually goes on to say, and we comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from him. I'm challenged by that verse. Where do I go for comfort? You know, when I've got a bit of downtime, my time, what do I do? Do I go to God, the God of all comfort, or do I find comfort in other things? All All too often, I'm afraid to say it's other things. God is a God of comfort. He knows how to comfort you. He knows. He knows your pain, your secret fears, and he will be your comforter if you will allow him to be. No more tears, no more sorrow. This is the birth of the new age, not new age, but new age. And God comes down to earth, and, and it's so wonderful that I get the chance to preach this now on the very cusp, of the very beginning of Christmas, as it were. Because what is Christmas all about? It's about celebrating Emmanuel, God with us, a baby come to us, God coming to be with us. Well, that's not the last time that God is going to come to be with us. Because the second coming, the new creation, is all about God's dwelling with us, coming to be with us. A new heaven and a new earth. Jerusalem, God's city coming down and and him being present with us. And at the very center of, of this city, this new creation... There is a a person, yes, and you're running ahead of me, you know who that is. Let's read this passage again. Let's let the text speak to us. Revelation chapter 21 verses 5 to 8. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. In other words, pay attention. Let these things go deep within you. Church, listen. People of God, listen. Community of faith, listen. Let these things change your heart. Let them settle on your heart. He says, it is done. It is accomplished. Remember that preach I did on the cross about Jesus saying, it is finished. It is accomplished. It is done. It is accomplished. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. Very often when I'm praying for people, when I'm ministering to them, I find myself prompted by the Holy Spirit to say, particularly if I sense that there's some sort of cursing going on in their life, people have said things about them, or they've owned things or taken things upon themselves, I will say this, and I don't do it every time, it's just when I feel prompted by the Lord, I'll say this, God will have the last word over you. Whatever names you've been called, whatever things you've bought into yourself because of negativism and issues and problems at work or problems in your family, it is Christ himself who is the Alpha and the Omega. And he will have the last word over you. And if you're in Christ, it will be good. It will be good. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this. Are you spiritually thirsty? 
You know, I was studying this and working on this, and I, I honestly had to say, Lord, I am spiritually thirsty, actually. There's been times when I have felt sated. I felt as if you filled me up. But I'm at a stage just because of everything, life, ministry, work, family, issues, pressures, you name it. You know what it's about. I said to the Lord as I read that, I said, you know, Lord, I want to talk about this. I want to encourage people to believe this for themselves. But actually, uh, can I get in the line too? Can I, can I have some of that living water too? Because I'm thirsty, Lord. I want more of you this Christmas time. Yeah, I hope I get an air saw and a couple of jacks and, you know, and, and a new oil can and bits and pieces. But truthfully... What I need is living water. I need living water. And I'm going to get up there on Sunday and talk about it. But I'm thirsty, Lord. My question to you is, are you thirsty for the living water that only Christ can give? Because he wants to give it. He wants to give it. Do you want it? That's the issue. Do you want it? To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost and from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this. A little thing, it's not part of my main preach here, but just a little bit further on. I couldn't resist, but, but share this as I was praying again this morning and reading through my materials. But in verse 22 of this same chapter, chapter 21, it says this. I did not see a temple in the city. Those of you who struggle to get out of bed to go to church, you'll be really thrilled. There is a church or a temple there. Hooray! No more refreshment rotors. Oh, hello. Bring it on, Jesus. Bring it on. No more church. Well, don't get too excited. Goes on to say, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, even Jesus, the Christ, are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light. In the new creation, in the new age, it is Christ himself who is the centerpiece. You know, Fliss and I have got, we've gone, done easy jet trips to Paris. In fact, one year we took the staff there. And when you think of Paris, I, like many people, think of the Eiffel Tower. Next year, Fliss and I are hoping to go to San Francisco en route to visiting our daughter in California. When you think of San Francisco, you think of the Golden Gate Bridge. If you've got friends who are going to visit you from abroad coming to London, they'll think of Big Ben. Most major cities have a centerpiece, a feature. The feature, the centerpiece of the, of the new Jerusalem, the new world, the new creation. It's not a thing. It's a person. It's Christ himself. And as we see him, and it says that we will see him, we will see him as he truly is, we will be, as the old hymnal, right, hymnist said, we will be lost in wonder, love, and praise. Something will rise up within us. We will melt into adoration. Even as he wipes the tears from our eyes. Wonderful vision of the new creation. This thing that puts a spring in my step. Even on a grey day, and these days for me are hard days. I'm very susceptible to this sort of depression that comes on with short days and overcast things and weather and you name it, just as we've been having. Even on those days, 
when you can barely tell day from night, there's a spring in my step because of the new creation, what Christ is bringing in. So bringing it home, as they say now, how are we to respond to this? Well, I used this little phrase early on. We are to live in the present future. Living in the present future, I call it. And uh, again, let's, let's let the text inform us on this. Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 to 13. Christ himself says, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And reading on into verse 17, again, this promise of living water. Come, whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. These are the closing verses of this awe-inspiring, inspiring, intimidating, challenging, unsettling book we call the Bible. It finishes with an invitation to anyone and everyone, come, whoever is thirsty. Come, enter into this new creation. Come be part of this community, the church. Come know the Lamb. Get your name written in that book. Because I am coming soon. I am coming soon. As I finish this, I thought I would, in order to, I don't know, press it home, just, just tell a story of, of Fliss and myself. I know how you like them, and it also always embarrasses my wife, which I like. Fliss and I have been married 37 years, I think. And we have four adult children and two grandchildren. And I remember how I courted her, how I pursued her. <laughs> I mean, I bought her half a shandy and a bag of peanuts. What more do you want? You know? <laughs> I did pursue her. It was quite romantic. I was... I just woke up one morning, literally, and believed that I loved her. Knew that I loved her. Actually believed I was going to marry her. And I pursued her, and she resisted me. And then finally we got sort of together. And that was just, I remember that, December the 5th, we keep that anniversary. Just as many of you who are in relationships, you'll keep anniversaries of the first kiss. Our first kiss, this is very personal, wasn't particularly wonderful. I ended up kissing her nose. Um, it was one of those things, you know, we're kind of arm in arm and I'm thinking it's the first kiss and I can't believe this is moment's going to take and, and I, I just sort of reached over and I went to kiss her and she went to cough and I ended up <laughs> and it was it's true isn't it it wasn't the best first kiss one might expect I don't know quite why we keep that anniversary actually <laughs> whatever uh, and we went out for about 18 months, I think, before we, you know, we, we got married. And during that time, there were some great times. But during that time, there were, there were some tough times, too. And I remember an occasion, I, 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 I can remember all sorts of things about it. But interesting enough, and so often the case, I can't remember why we had our first row. I know we'd just been into a pizza restaurant. 
in Putney High Street and we had a meal and we came back, we were walking back to our apartment and, and I don't know what happened but we, I don't know, something weird went on and next thing we're having a row in the street and it's so bad that I say to her, I'm sorry, I can't come in with you, I, I've got to go and I need some space, I've got to think about this relationship. And I can remember walking around. I can't even remember where I went, but I remember the issue was, do I want to... This is it. This is when we walk. This is the end of it. This is, I can go on to another relationship now, just like I've done in the past. And that would have been the norm for me. But I went back, and I found her in floods of tears. And she was afraid I was going to leave. And um, <laughs> I didn't. And we had rows and we had great times. We had a lot of laughs. Chris and I don't row very often, to be honest. But when we do, it's horrible. It's so horrible. I, you know, it's so painful. Uh, but there came a day, April the 3rd, 1972, where it was an Easter Monday. And we went up to Yorkshire to my parents-in-law. Work. In fact, my mother-in-law's here, bless her heart. And uh, we went up to Burton Leonard in Yorkshire where the family had had a home for many years and that was to be our wedding day. And Oh boy, we'd been through so much by that time. In those just 18 months, moved house and oh, things. And Anyway, I, I'm on my wedding night. Not that wedding night, the night before my wedding, I should say. Um, and I'm sharing a room with my best man, a, a Son of a, a, a Pakistani prince, a guy called Shaheed, was my best friend, best man at that time. And sharing a room with him, and all night long he kept tossing and turning, talking in his sleep. I didn't get a wink. And he kept saying, No, don't do it, stop! <laughs> oh, great. I kept digging him in the ring, saying, Shaheed, will you please shut up or go and sleep on the sofa downstairs? He said, oh, 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 sorry, mate. Oh, what was that? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. All quiet. Ten minutes later, no, save yourself. Man. I was bleary-eyed before the day began, I tell you. Finally, we get dressed. We walk down to the, to the church. Lovely, very, very, very windy day, but a lovely, clear, cold North Yorkshire day. Walk down to the church, a little country place. I go down to the front. Shahid is on my right, looking incredibly and annoyingly fresh. <laughs> and I'm stood there. And, whew, we weren't doing church in those days. We weren't doing Jesus in those days, to be honest. But suddenly there's a bit of a kerfuffle, and the organist strikes up. And I... I, I turn around and I'm stunned. I'm stunned. Because this woman hasn't walked off. <clears throat> this woman hasn't deserted me. There is this vision of loveliness. She looked like an elven princess at the end with her. F- a farm with her father looking a bit awkward and what have you and they start to walk down the aisle towards me and I remember as we turned to the altar and this old priest came out to, to do the wedding thing I remember now I felt like we were one nobody just said a word yet 
and we would always be one. All those girlfriends I'd had, all those one-night stands, all those false starts, all those whatever, in that moment, we were one. I don't know about you, I find being a Christian, let alone a pastor, a challenge. There are days I don't do so good. Days I do all right. Many days I wish I'd do better. But Jesus is coming soon. And he hasn't walked out on me yet. And one day, in the middle of...